No statements made during the Growing Your Wealth radio show shall constitute tax, legal, or accounting advice. You should consult your own legal or tax professional on your individual information. Brian Evans of Madrona Financial Services is licensed to offer investment advisory services through Madrona Financial Services, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Insurance products are offered through Madrona Insurance Services, LLC, a licensed insurance agency and an affiliate of Madrona Financial Services. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Investors cannot invest directly into indexes. No investment strategy, including asset allocation or diversification, guarantees a profit or guarantees the avoidance of loss. Financial planning is an important tool that does not guarantee specific outcomes. When it comes to investing, retirement, and legacy planning, the decisions you make today can greatly impact the quality of life for both you and your loved ones tomorrow. What you need is straight, unbiased information on the most important issues you'll face when planning for your financial future. Good news. You found the Growing Your Wealth radio show with Brian Evans. Brian is the founder of Madrona Financial Services, and with his background as a CPA, he brings a unique perspective to the investment and financial planning world. He follows the philosophy rooted in his tax experience of, it's not what you make, but what you keep. And this focus on tax-smart investment strategies is all part of the fully integrated planning strategy known as the Madrona Bundle of Services. You'll hear Brian's thoughts on everything impacting your portfolio, from income to taxes, and from growth opportunities to long-term security. This is your source of comprehensive financial information. You'll soon understand why they call it the Madrona Difference. So get ready for an hour full of the most comprehensive financial information on the radio. And welcome to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. Thank you so much and welcome to Growing Your Wealth, the radio show that gives you the straight talk and honest answers about how to invest better, live better, retire better, and give better. We have some valuable information for you during the coming hour that could change your financial life for the better. My name is Jeff Shade. As always, I'm just here to ask the questions, but the words of wisdom and the solid advice come from the expert Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs. How you doing today, Brian? Doing great. Thanks, Jeff. I hope our listeners are doing great today, too, Brian, and I always appreciate people joining us here for Growing Your Wealth. We're closing in on almost 300 shows. I can't believe this, but we've been doing this for over six years now, or more than six years, I guess my English teacher would say. There's a difference between over and more. Over is a location. (laughs) More is greater than. Brian, you know, back in the day when you were growing up there in Mount Vernon and you were driving the tractor with a trash bag over your head there to cover you from the rain, did you ever believe that when you grew up that you would have the firm that you have now helping so many people and furthermore that you would have a radio show talking to so many people every week well no jeff that was not even in my <laughs> not in your plan all huh? these dreams I, I had a public speaking phobia at the time i couldn't do it now my one of my favorite things to do is getting in front of a large audience and uh, you got to Pry the microphone from me if you're the next speaker. I'm like, no, I don't want to leave. I did know uh, I wasn't going to do that anymore when I'm bucking bales. Of course, there's different kinds of bales. When it was a regular hay bale, they're about 60 pounds. That's okay. But those pea bales are about 90. Wow. And he always had the guy, the farmer that was painting by the hour, so he was driving the truck fast. So you'd have to pick up the, these bales and run <laughs> with them. And they're very heavy. And then you have to throw them way up onto the back of the truck where someone's stacking them. And 
uh, oh boy, you, you do that for long enough. And, and I, the one thing I did get away from that is I am not going to do this when I grow up. <laughs> so I definitely had motivation to do something. I didn't know, you know, I would end up here doing what I'm doing, but I sure knew I wasn't going to be out there bucking bales at this <laughs> later in life. Well, here I thought you had it easy out there. You just bending over and, you know, roguing spinach and uh, picking berries and that sort of thing. But, I mean, bucking bales, what kind of bales did you say these were again? Well, you had the regular hay bales. You had your pea bales. Uh, luckily, I didn't, wasn't on the east side of the state. Those guys are really strong because they, they do alfalfa bales. And I understand <laughs> they were about 120 pounds. So those those are were something else. But, no, I got pretty strong out there. I remember when I was 10 years old and I was on the cucumber fields and you'd fill up these Home Depot's buckets full of cucumbers and you do two at a time and when you're 10 years old and those two buckets weigh about as much as you weigh and you got to walk you know 100 yards with it it's that was pretty big stuff and then a couple years later I was carrying four at a time you know because I didn't want to waste my time I wanted to make some money so I'm carrying four of those buckets full of cucumbers at once you know 100 yards at at a time I got pretty strong out there. You must have been quite a muscle-bound little kid. I mean, developing those no, sort of... I was skinny, man. I was <laughs> skinny? So, so skinny. I, I certainly filled out since then, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I was a skinny guy back then. But yeah, uh, good old farming days. I know they instilled some work ethic and all that good stuff, yeah. but, and the, but the big motivator to graduate top of my class, so I wouldn't yeah. have to go back to that. You ever take your kids out to the farm and say, look, kids, this is what I used to do. I mean, if I could do this, you can do that. You ever pull one of those on the kids? Well, you know, now they don't have this stuff anymore for the kids. You know, it's all machines and, right. and that kind of thing. So back then, there weren't any child labor laws to speak of. I, you know, I started working hourly when I was nine. It was a buck sixty-five an hour. It's a minimum wage. That's what I got for Rogan spinach, and so it, it was a whole <laughs> different time. So no, I can't replicate that from my kids. But you always had money on your mind to a certain extent. What I mean by that is, when you made a buck sixty-five, you didn't spend a buck sixty-five. When you were doing that, it wasn't work that you had to use your mind for a great deal, but you're probably thinking about, okay, 165, if I work eight hours a day, how many? How much money is that? Compounded interest, what that can do for me. And basically, you funded your college education that way, didn't you? Yeah, I did. I was able to graduate university without any debt, four years. And so we're at Washington State in Pullman there. And so, yeah, I when I was going to college, I was doing uh, P-vining, and then I was personnel director and P-field sampler But basically, it was uh, seven days a week, 12 hours a day. And so I was able to, you know, certainly put away some minimum wage had risen. So I think I was making six bucks an hour. So 72 bucks a day way back then, uh, seven days a week all summer. Yeah, so I was able to make enough to pay for college. That was nice. Well, you're a man of the people, Brian. And for those people listening to the program, gives you a little snapshot as to Brian's background and, you know, why he works the way that he does and the work ethic that he puts in here at Madrona Financial Services. We're going to leave me out of this conversation at this point. (laughs) I don't think I can compete with you, Brian, on that. Anyway, so that's who Brian Evans is here at Madrona Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs. On today's show, Brian, you know, about once a quarter, we take a look at the markets, and this is the fourth quarter report as of September 30th from J.P. Morgan. And that is what we want to talk about today. If we have time, we'll talk about, oh, some of the states that people are leaving and the ones that they're moving to. But I want to get started with the S&P 500 at certain inflection points. I got the chart right here in front of me. Looking back at the year 2000, 20 years ago, now almost 21, S&P at, uh, oh, it looks like about 1,400, 1,500 or so, something like that. Here's September 30th, 2020. It has risen quite a bit, hasn't it? 
Yeah, it's been interesting because there's been now four recoveries. So the first one was end of the 90s. The S&P rose to about 1500 there. And then we had the dot-com crash, and it dropped half its value. And then it post that, it recovered through 2007, and it got back to 1500 And then uh, we had the Great Recession, where it dropped half its value yet again. So back where it was in the middle of the 90s. And so then it recovered, and it got back to 1500 in 2012. So the first time it dropped, it took literally about eight or nine years to recover. The second drop, it was a little bit quicker. It took about six or seven years to recover. And then we just had another one of those drops. But it literally took a few months to recover this time. Uh, one thing that points out to me is is markets move much quicker now due to the internet than they did even 12 years ago with the Great Recession, that people are, are much quicker to react and discount what's happening maybe today and instead invest for the future. What I mean by that is when it dropped this year, people were going, yeah, it's going to be not great news for a while, but two to three years from now, we should be fine. So I'm investing for the longer term. So I'm just going to get back in and I'll be fine. And sure enough, they were. And so that that's just an interesting observation there, how quickly, for the first time ever, how quickly a large drop recovered almost overnight. You know, in, in terms of this graph, it's just a tiny little sliver of time in that I'm looking at a 25-year graph here. Well, this graph is interesting, too. It looks like, a, you know, just a giant V there from February 19th, 2020, all the way up to September 30th, 2020. The uh, P.E. ratio with 13.1 times earnings back there in March of 2020, 21.5 times earnings today. So let's go to the next page and talk about S&P 500 valuation measures. Brian, this graph is interesting. It, it shows certainly some downtrends, but some uptrends. What can you make of this one? Yeah, a lot of people, you know, they want to know, is the overall market overvalued, undervalued, that kind of thing. And so one of the ways I look at that is I look at what's the average price earnings ratio. Do the earnings, the net profit of your companies, does it support the price that it's trading at? So the long-term average is about 16 and a half times earnings. That's the 25-year average. Now, it's been all over that, you know, in the late 90s, it was above 20 times earnings. And then 2008, you know, it got down to about 12, 13 times earnings in that time. And so it's it's bounced around. Prior to COVID, it was, even though the market was way up, so were earnings. And so it was spot on the 25-year average. I mean, as recently as the end of 2018, it was spot on. It had gotten a little above that average before, just before covid and then COVID hit. And so now it's actually trading well above the average, which is not a great thing because it's it's at 21 times earnings. And so people are essentially the investors out there are okay with investing in the stock market, even though it's overvalued by normal measures of price earnings. They're saying that the future is going to be okay. We're going to see earnings growth in the future, but this next 12 months, it is overvalued currently based on the earnings projected for the next 12 months. 
Brad, as you said, the 25-year average about 16 times, and here we are at 21.5 times. What's the takeaway from all this? Yeah, I think the takeaway is that, again, even though the market isn't undervalued for the next 12 months, it's certainly overvalued. If we we're going to look at a, at, a, at a future graph and talk about, okay, what do earnings look like beyond this 12 months? So if you just do fundamental analysis, you probably miss the boat because certainly fundamentals would have said when COVID hit that all of our price earnings ratios were messed up anyway because nobody knew how much any companies were going to make. We were all kind of looking at each other going, what's going to happen here? Everything's shut down. I-5 is empty on a, you know, rush hour. The world's coming to an end. What's going on? So really, I, I had to discount all numbers during that time period. So it was very difficult to analyze the market when no one really knew what the next few months was even going to look like. You're listening to Brian Evans of Madrona Financial Services, and we're talking about the markets. And about once every quarter, we do do this guide to the markets. This is just to help you get an idea of where the markets are and what past performance has been. Of course, as we always say, past performance is not a true indicator of what things are going to do in the future. But I think we can learn a little bit from history and maybe make some educated guesses as to what the future is going to be. If you'd like a complimentary, no cost, no obligation financial plan with advisors here at Madrona Financial Financial services who do study this information and incorporate it into their decisions with you about your financial plan, you can get that plan by calling 844-MADRONA. It is free, no cost, no obligation for our loyal listeners this week. Once again, 844-MADRONA is the number to call to get your complimentary plan. A first opinion, a second, or even a third opinion. A chance for you to kick the tires here at Madrona Financial Services and see what they can do for you. You can also find out more about the firm online and request your plan at madronafinancial.com. That is madronafinancial.com. You're listening to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. We're going to take a quick break. Be right back with more of our Guide to the Markets fourth quarter when our show continues right after this. Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans will be right back with even more ways to help you stay focused on your retirement goals. The word volatile is rarely used when describing something desirable. It's usually not associated with pleasant outcomes and doesn't sound very appealing unless you're describing a roller coaster or some other thrill ride. And when it comes to your retirement plan, volatile is the last word you want to hear when talking about your nest egg. At Madrona Financial Services, we like to focus on other words when it comes to retirement planning. Words like predictability, opportunity, and security. And while we may live in volatile times, there are strategies that you could be using right now to lessen or even possibly eliminate its impact on your portfolio. If you're concerned about your exposure to market volatility, call Madrona Financial Services today at 844-MADRONA to schedule your complimentary review. We'll perform a risk analysis of your current portfolio and then discuss the ways we can help you achieve your retirement goals without taking unnecessary chances with your nest egg. Take back control of your retirement. Call Madrona Financial Services today at 844-MADRONA or visit us at madronafinancial.com. In today's fast-paced world, we're used to having information at our fingertips. And when you're trying to research something, more information is always better, especially when it comes to retirement planning. That's why Brian Evans, founder of Madrona Financial Services, has made his 2020 edition of the Little Red Book of Retirement available for free. You can get your free copy by visiting madronafinancial.com. The 2020 edition of the Little Red Book of Retirement covers the basics of retirement planning. Brian shares his thoughts on investing, taxes, estate planning, lifestyle, and more. As a CPA and investment advisor, Brian has the knowledge to help make your retirement planning process manageable. Brian has also been a featured speaker on CNBC and Fox Business. 
The 2020 edition of the Little Red Book of Retirement will give you a thorough analysis from an expert. Madrona Financial offers beneficial information to properly prepare for retirement. Get your free copy of the 2020 edition of the Little Red Book of Retirement by visiting madronafinancial.com. That's madronafinancial.com. Tired of getting only half the story? We've got you covered with the most comprehensive financial information on the radio. You're listening to Growing Your Wealth with your host, Brian Evans. Now, here's Brian. Welcome back to the show. I'm Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs. And in this segment, we're going to continue discussing the market by reviewing J.P. Morgan Asset Management's Guide to the Market for the Third Quarter. Let's talk about the next page here in this, and this is going to be corporate profits, S&P 500 earnings per share. I look back 20 years ago, and I looked at today, and it looks like things are dramatically different. They're actually about four times better. Is that about right? Yeah, that is about right. And as I look at this graph, this may be the most telling of of all of them. So I think this is extremely important. And I wish I could show everybody what I'm looking at, but this is radio, so I'll do my best. (laughs) And so a lot of people, you know, they might say, well, I don't know about the market. I think it's too high. I'm like, really? Why? I remember when it was 10,000 and now it's, you know, 25 to 30. And I say, well, yeah, but there's a big reason for that because corporate profits are up by the same percentage. I mean, the market's going to follow profits. You're buying into a share of the profits, and there's a certain value to that, and long-term average is 16 times. And so as I look at this graph, I see in the 1990, the corporate average SP500 company was earning, you know, 20 bucks per share. And then as we go through, it's, uh, it hit 40 bucks a share in the late 90s. It hit 80 bucks a share in the, about 12 years ago, that kind of time frame. Although it did dip in 2008, back down to below 50 before it recovered three years later. Then it starts going up, 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 and it went way up during the last few years because it hit a record in 2017 of about 120 bucks. And then now it hit over 150 in 2019. So as we look at 2019, you know, that's pre-COVID, back when the world was normal, and the markets were thriving. They were way up, hitting all-time records, but so was corporate profits. And indexed, this isn't actually profit per share, it's just an indexed figure, but it was about 150 bucks. And I think most people would say, well, 150 in the market was high, but, you know, earnings were high, kind of made sense. It was probably okay back then. But then this year, profits are going to drop again, just like they did in 08, just like they did in 2000 with the dot-com. They're going to drop, and they're going to drop pretty significantly. But the projection is that 2021, profits are going to be higher than they were in 2019, when we were hitting all-time highs and things were good, you know, and the world was normal. The projection is that profits are going to be even higher But what's also interesting is the projection for 2022, and this is just a projection, is that we're going to have a record increase in profits. Hmm. I mean, way up. And so that is what I was trying to point out, that investors aren't so much concerned about 2020's profit. They're kind of saying, well, I don't think it's going to be as good, which it won't be due to COVID. But 2021, 2022, and beyond, the expectations of profit from all the analysts out there is that those are going to hit record highs. And so you don't want to wait till the market reflects that and then go, oh, I think I'll buy in now. You know, I've been in cash for two years, and now that the market's way up, I think I'll buy in. 
If you think the market's going to be way up because you think corporate profits are going to be way up, you probably want to be in the market now, even though the fundamentals don't tell you to be in the market at these prices just, just so much today. Let's go to the next page right now. Sources of earnings per share growth. Another interesting graph here. This one a little bit different. Has a line in the middle that says 0%. I see a good number of graphs below that line, some above the line. So let's talk about what has occurred over the past 20 years on this one. Yeah, so once again, we see earnings per share growth was negative 30% in 2001. That was the dot-com. It was negative 40% in 2008, Great Recession. It was negative 49% the first quarter of 2020 and negative 33 the second quarter. And so, yeah, we had a, a massive drop there. Pretty much the rest of the graph, it's all up. Uh, almost every year, the S&P year-over-year earnings per share is up. It's obviously dramatically up, or maybe not obviously, but what I'm seeing here is after a drop, that is the, the years following, it's always the highest, you know, which makes sense because you're at a low point and you're measuring against that. But usually when it recovers, it continues to recover at an increasing rate, which is another interesting thing from this graph. So again, that because this drop was so much, I would expect earnings to not only recover, but increase at an increasing rate. I think companies really had to look at their profit and losses, their balance sheet, their debt financing, their personnel, their costs, everything supply chain, everything. A lot of innovation is happening out there. Technology shares are going way up and their profitability is uh, you know, through the moon. And I think that a lot of stuff is shifting towards that and, and so forth. So we're going to, I think it's going to be interesting if I, you know, I would always wish I had the next three years of this graph uh, historically, right. you know, I'd be the best advisor in the world. But I can look at the, the prior reactions to drops and see how positive they were. Look at what analyst estimates are for profitability factor that in what the price of the market needs to be to support that profitability, it would have to be much higher than it is today. Yeah, and I like to look at the middle of this one here, too, as an indicator of what possibly could be in the future. And again, we don't have a crystal ball here, but I look back at 08, I mean, down 40%. And then in 10, it's up 47%, a difference of 87%. So it shows what is possible. And I guess what goes down usually does go up. So we'll wait and see. But again, we're optimistic about 2021 at this point. Brian, next page is the S&P 500 index concentration and earnings. And I see a couple of graphs here, and I know that our people on the radio can't see this, but would you interpret this for me and the people listening, what this means? Yeah, we've, we've had the S&P 500 changes its composition essentially daily. And so when you talk about the S&P, yeah, it's the biggest 500, com- roughly the biggest 500 companies. But if you're a bigger company, you have a much bigger impact on the S&P. So a lot of people compare against the S&P and they go, oh boy, the S&P's come back remarkably. I would contend that most of the companies within the S&P have lost money and their sectors are not doing very well. But the issue is that there's so much of a concentration. So the top 10 companies in the S&P 500 back, oh, five years ago, accounted for about 18% of the value of the S&P, which is a lot when there's 500 companies and 10 or 18% of it. But lately, that 18 has gone to almost 30%. So almost 30% of the entire S&P 500 is 10 companies. And a full, almost a quarter of it is just five companies. So obviously those five, you know, you think Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, Google, these are the companies that make up 
most, you know, a big weighting of that index. So if you don't have those companies, you probably didn't do anything close to what the S&P 500 did. And it's never been like this. We've never had the biggest companies in the S&P be so much bigger than the other companies in it that it dramatically pulls it one way or the other. You know, to, to know how the S&P is going to go, you just have to look at pretty much the technology sector because that's what's really dragging it up or down right now. And Brian, are those companies what we call the FANG companies when you talk about the technology sector? And I'm talking about Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, Google. Are those the FANG companies? Yeah, basically, that is exactly what it is. It's those kinds of companies. And, you know, like I said, if you don't have those, you're, you're probably looking at your numbers going, well, Everybody says the market recovered. I don't feel like I recovered. Right. Well, you didn't if you didn't have those companies. I think the technology sector is something that is going to remain pretty strong here. Again, we're not making recommendations. We're just making some sort of analysis, and this is personal opinion. And again, we don't have a crystal ball here. But I look at companies, I mean, when it comes to medical care, there's telehealth, there's teledoc, there's DocuSign, there's all this stuff now that I think is going to change the landscape. No longer do you have to go into a doctor's office in order to have an appointment. And many, you know, doctors prefer telehealth and, you know, doing these things via the internet. So tech stocks, I think are something that you possibly could have some success with. But again, this is a personal decision that is for you to make based on the information that you have at hand. So let's go to the next page here, Brian. This is returns and valuations by style. Again, a lot of information we can't share visually on the radio, but what's your take on this? Yeah, so this graph, again, speaks to that, that of the sectors out there, technology is about close to 30% of the S&P 500 followed by healthcare at 20%. So you've got, you know, half of the entire stock market is technology and healthcare stocks. And then what makes up the rest of the market is everything else, including consumer discretionary, consumer services, financials, banks, real estate, industrials, staples, utilities, materials, energy, all of that stuff. Now in the old days, I remember the energy stocks were the dominant player, and now energy stocks are 2% of the S&P 500. That's shocking to me. They're only 2%. And so, and even the real estate sector is a little over 2. And utilities are only 3. And so all these old time, you know, it used to be, that's what you bought when you bought stocks. You bought bank stocks, which are at 10%. You bought uh, real estate, you bought, you know, Chevron or Exxon or whatever and utility stocks. Well, that's not the case anymore. Now we're buying healthcare stocks, technology stocks, and let's see, third on the list is industrials. And so, but it's way down the list. So so it's just interesting. We've had a massive shift on what the composition of the S&P 500 really is. We're taking a look at a snapshot of the market here. We do this about once every fourth quarter here on Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans of Toronto Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs. Once again, I want to reiterate that you may not understand completely what these numbers mean, but it's important to know that the people here at Pedrona Financial Services, this is a sort of analysis that they do when designing comprehensive financial plans. If you'd like a comprehensive financial plan that doesn't cost you anything, no cost, and importantly, no obligation. Nobody's going to put the thumb down on you if you do have a financial plan and say, when are you going to move your money over here? We don't operate that way here at Pedrona Financial Services. To get your complimentary no-cost, no-obligation plan, again, call 844-MADRONA, 844-M-A-D-R-O-N-A. You can also request it online at madronafinancial.com. Brian, we're going to take a quick break. Be right back with more of Growing Your Wealth after this. 
Stay tuned for more Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans, the show you can't afford to miss. Many people are experiencing unexpected job loss and find themselves in uncharted waters. From some of the largest employers in our area laying off employees to the smallest having to close their doors, this is impacting many of us and our neighbors. Losing a job is hard enough, but with the added stress of what to do with your 401k or other employer-sponsored plans, it can feel overwhelming. At Madrona Financial Services, we are here to help bring clarity, direction, and strategy to your financial world. Our staff of wealth managers and CPAs can answer your questions and provide the type of guidance these times require. You can start by scheduling a complimentary phone call or virtual meeting so we can discuss your personal situation and how we may be able to help. There are important financial considerations when it comes to certain employer-sponsored plans. We'll help explain your options so you can avoid any unnecessary penalties or taxes. Schedule your complimentary meeting today at 844-MADRONA or online at madronafinancial.com. madronafinancial.com that's M-A-D-R-O-N-A financial.com. The word volatile is rarely used when describing something desirable. It's usually not associated with pleasant outcomes and doesn't sound very appealing unless you're describing a roller coaster or some other thrill ride. And when it comes to your retirement plan, volatile is the last word you want to hear when talking about your nest egg. At Madrona Financial Services, we like to focus on other words when it comes to retirement planning. Words like predictability, opportunity, and security. And while we may live in volatile times, there are strategies that you could be using right now to lessen or even possibly eliminate its impact on your portfolio. If you're concerned about your exposure to market volatility, call Madrona Financial Services today at 844-MADRONA to schedule your complimentary review. We'll perform a risk analysis of your current portfolio and then discuss the ways we can help you achieve your retirement goals without taking unnecessary chances with your nest egg. Take back control of your retirement. Call Madrona Madrona Financial Services today at 844-MADRONA or visit us at madronafinancial.com. You can't build a house with just one tool and you can't plan for retirement without an integrated comprehensive strategy. If you want to get more information on the Madrona bundle of services, call Madrona Financial Services at 844-MADRONA or go to madronafinancial.com. Now, back to more of Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. Welcome back to the show. I'm Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs. And in this segment, we're going to continue our discussion from J.P. Morgan's Guide to the Markets for the Third Quarter. And Brian, as we mentioned, we do this about every three months or so. And this, I think, is the final one for this year so far that we'll be talking about. Obviously, we'll take a look back at the year 2020 when 2021 rolls onto the scene here. So let's go to the next page here. Returns and Valuations by Style. What do you make of this one? Yeah, this has been interesting because it's been a market of the haves and have-nots. As I pointed out in the last segment, if you didn't own those top companies in the S&P 500, you probably did not participate like everybody else did because, you know, the, the top companies are Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Facebook, Google, Berkshire Hathaway, Johnson Johnson, Visa, and Procter & Gamble. But most of the weight was in those first five that I mentioned. They were all technology stocks. What's interesting is two of them were, you know, right in our backyard. So as we look at the returns year to date through the third quarter, I'm looking at a graph that shows value stocks, growth stocks. It shows large cap, mid cap, small cap. The worst area to be in was value stocks. Value stocks, think more of the banks and slow growth companies, higher dividend, and probably oil and gas companies too. Growth stocks is more an indication of technology, maybe biotech, healthcare, that kind of thing. 
And so the worst area was a small cap value down 21%. On the opposite side of this quadrant is large cap growth. That was the best place to be, was 24% increase because that included all those companies I just mentioned. And so as long as you were in growth stocks, you were fine. If, if you were in large cap growth stocks, you were up 24%. Mid cap, you were up 13 Small cap, you're up 4%. So you, you, you didn't make a lot, but at least you didn't lose money. So the small cap and the value suffered the most year to date. Large cap and all growth sectors did the best year to date. Okay, Brian, let's just go on to the next page here. Returns and valuations by sector. This is interesting. We touched on this a little bit in the last segment. Sectors such as energy, materials, financials, industrials, technology, healthcare, real estate, really quite some astounding differences here. So let's talk about this one a little bit. Yeah, as I mentioned earlier, the S&P is generally around 16, 17 times earnings, but each sector has its own kind of norm. And one of the most interesting ones is the first one, energy. Its norm is 14 times earnings. So it's more of a a value stock. But its forward price earnings ratio is estimated at, it shows a dash. A dash means there is no profit estimated for the energy sector in the next 12 months. Wow. There's actually a loss projected. So you got to have a real strong constitution to buy energy stocks right now, <laughs> hoping that, okay, maybe you're buying them when they're low and if they recover. But, you know, given our changing patterns and green energy and, you know, California saying we're going to not allow gasoline cars to be sold someday and, and all of that, that's a, that's a leap of faith. That's an area that's kind of interesting. Uh, other areas like materials are about 50% over their typical trading range as far as valuation. The long-term average is 14 times earnings. They're trading at 21. Financials are about in line with their long-term average of 12 and a half. Now they're at 13 and a half. So they're actually in line. Industrials are 50% over consumer discretionary. It's actually done quite well this year. One of the best areas, but it is twice its normal valuation. It's normally trading at 18 times earnings. Right now it's at 37 times earnings. So be careful with consumer discretionary technology. It seems to always have a disconnect here. I mean, it's long-term average of 19 times earnings. It's trading at 26. But its growth of earnings is always substantially higher than all the other sectors. So take that with a grain of salt. Communication services, slightly overvalued based on historical. Real estate, slightly overvalued. Healthcare, right in line with long-term averages. Consumer staples, slightly overvalued. Utilities are slightly overvalued. And the S&P 500, the 20-year average is 15.4 times earnings. Uh, right now, it's 21.5 times earnings. But that's only for the next 12 months. That's 21.5 projected for the next 12 months. If we projected it out that following 12 months, it's probably more in line with its long-term average. But I do like to look at these sectors to give me some indication as to the fundamentals. But I have to look outside of that because I got to look at the growth of projected profits, where I think the world is changing to. And so I got to take that into account too when we add sectors to our portfolios. 
Okay, Brian, so that's a lot of information here that we've given our listeners, and I know that you've tried to explain it as best as possible, but let's step back a little bit, and if you could summarize all of this, what's the big takeaway? What do you make of all the information that we've seen about our past performance? And I know we can't predict the future, but I'm going to put you on the spot here a little bit and educated guess as to the coming year, what things are going to be like. But first of all, what's the takeaway from the information that we've talked about so far? Yeah, the takeaway is you really can't invest for just the coming year. If you're going to be in the stock market, you're investing for a longer period of time. Uh, If you're just investing for what you think it's going to do next quarter, next year, that's probably a little short-sighted. It's a tough way to invest. But generally speaking, we see markets go up over time because we see profits grow over time. And unless there's a stop to the growth of profits, we're probably not going to see the market have a long-term drop we would see a a recovery. Certainly the analyst estimates as of today, and they're just estimates, are very positive for our future. And so anything that can keep corporate profits high, certainly an election could affect that if we have a big tax increase on corporate profits, and that will, you know, drop that estimate down. And of course, then that would drop the market down too for a period of time. But Yes, with the innovation that I'm seeing out there, I, I do think it can be a, a good place to be, certainly for some of your assets, to have them in the market. You don't have to have all your assets and safe money, you know, annuities and CDs and all that kind of thing. You know, if, if you have enough safety in your portfolio and you have enough allocation to different concepts, like I said, the annuities or fixed universal life policies or, or private REITs or your business or your own real estate or, or different things like that, then you can invest in markets. But again, don't try to time the markets in the short term because things change on a dime, as we just saw over this last year. Brian, with a potential change at the White House coming up here, considering the information that you've talked about here, past performance, obviously, you know, we've gone back here sometimes uh, earlier than 2000. There have been a number of presidents since that time. I mean, should we rely more upon the statistics that we've talked about insofar as our investment strategy, or do we want to bring politics into this? Does politics really have that much effect on the market in the long run? You know, it really doesn't have as much of an effect as you would think. I'll be coming out with a webinar very soon about the political landscape and how that's affected markets historically. And it'll be a surprise, I think, to see how many of the best markets have been when you thought they wouldn't be the best. Because markets are going to be more a reflection of what the corporations are doing, how innovation affects profitability, such as technological advances, what the Fed is doing, interest rates. Those are evidently, based on the historical, way more important than who's sitting in the Oval Office. Brian, we've talked about the market. We've talked about stocks a little bit. I want to shift gears here in this segment just a bit. Talk a little bit about bonds. What's your take on those in the future? Yeah, I mean, the graph I'm looking at, certainly the 10-year Treasury yield has been dropping uh, since 1970 or since 1981, where it peaked at 15.8%. And September 30th, it was 0.69%. Well, And so when you deduct inflation from that, your yield is, is slightly over negative 1%. And so I don't think that being as bonds are the biggest asset class out there, bigger than all the stocks, there's more money invested in bonds than there is all the stocks in the world combined, which is shocking. And so, you know, that's investing in someone's debt. And the interest rate on that debt is so low that you're losing money to inflation now on the 10-year treasury. And that's tying your money up for 10 years. You're locking in an annual loss uh, to inflation. So where if you're sitting there and you go, oh, I think I got 40% of my money in bonds or 50 or 60 or whatever it is that you've got in bonds, 
Now might be a time to really take a deep dive look into that. And I guarantee your returns have been great because interest rates have been dropping. But what do you think they're going to be for the next 10 years? That's really how we want to look at the bond market. And if you don't think that now's the time to hang on and hope for the best that rates will keep dropping, that now might be a good time to reanalyze that and take a look at bond substitutes. And what I mean by bond substitutes is safe money alternatives, such as a fixed indexed annuity. Is there a place for bonds in your portfolio moving forward, do you think? Yeah, there can be a place. I mean, there's all kinds of different bonds. I mean, I, I don't think that I would buy a 10-year treasury right now. You might look at some other kinds of bonds, whether they're preferreds, convertibles, different kinds of corporate bonds. Because I can sit here and tell you that rates really can't drop anymore. But what if they do? You know, I don't know this. I don't have next year's rate sheet in front of me of what the right. rates are going to be. I wish I right. did. So I think diversification, it's a person by person, individual by individual decision as to how much risk you want in your portfolio, how much liquidity. I mean, bonds are liquid, more liquid than fixed index annuities. Fixed index annuities might have a higher projected return than bonds. So it's, you have to look at the, what else is in your portfolio, who you are, your age, your goals, your cash flow, liquidity, growth desires, security desires, tax situation. There's a lot that goes into it. But I am taking a very critical eye at having too much bond exposure in the portfolios. And once again, if you would like a comprehensive financial plan from Brian and the advisors here at Madrona Financial Services, you can get that by calling 844-MADRONA, 844-M-A-D-R-O-N-A. And of course, you can request it online at madronafinancial.com. Brian, a lot of heavy stuff here in our next segment. We're going to go to the lighter side of things and talk about some states in the United States that residents are leaving and the ones that they're moving to. So we'll talk about that and more when our show continues right after this. Stay with us. Discussing the financial issues that matter most to you. We'll be right back with more Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. Time for today's edition of Growing Your Wealth, presented by Madrona Financial. Here's Brian Evans. The question often comes up in retirement is what should I be more interested in, growth or security or cash flow or tax savings? Of course, my answer is all of the above. But one of the things I look at is, you know, with pensions, less and less of us have pensions. And so pensions, you know, that's something you can count on. And that's something nobody seems to complain about that has one. They like getting a monthly check that will last as long as they do. Another way to get a pension-like thing would be a fixed index annuity. Now, a lot of people go, oh, annuities, I hate annuities. Well, you probably hate variable annuities because variable annuities are in the stock market and have very high fees. Whereas fixed index annuities can be designed for lifetime cash flow, second to die, or increasing lifetime cash flow if you think there's going to be inflation, second to die. So I still haven't met anybody that thinks getting cash flow the rest of their life is a bad idea. So that's another way to do it. A third way to get monthly cash flow in retirement is a fixed index universal life. Because it's in a life insurance product, that cash flow can be designed to be income tax free. And so that's a really neat thing. Another thing is real estate. We can have rentals, we can have Delaware statutory trusts, we can have private non-traded real estate investment trusts. There's different ways you can get rental cash flow. And the last one is your stock and bond portfolios. You can do a draw from that. Let's say you use the 4% rule and you get that. So in retirement, if you don't have a pension, there's a lot of other ways to get retirement income through the rest of your life. 
And that was Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. Madrona Financial. Investments, retirement, taxes, and legacy. MadronaFinancial.com. Get your free copy of Brian's latest book, The Complete Book of Retirement. It covers everything from the basics of retirement planning to passive real estate investing. Arm yourself with information and take control of your retirement. Call Madrona Financial Services today at 844-MADRONA for your free copy or visit madronafinancial.com. Do you ever worry if your CPA and financial advisor are on the same page? You won't have to if you call Madrona Financial Services at 844-MADRONA or visit them at madronafinancial.com. Now, back to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. Welcome back to the show. I'm Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs. In this segment, we're going to be talking about the states that residents are leaving and the ones that they're moving to. And Brian, a new study by Atlas Van Lines that tracked migration patterns throughout the country in 2019 found that more Americans are moving to Idaho than any other state. The gem state continued a pattern of drawing new residents, ranking as the survey's inbound leader for the second time since 2017. Now, on the other hand, this is no surprise to me. More people are looking to escape from New York, the nation's outbound move leader last year, a designation the Empire State has held since 2014. Now, having been a former resident of New York State, New York City, I think I can understand why. I don't want to offend any natives of New York. Think that the world starts and ends at the borders of New York City. Brian, is Idaho a surprise to you about the state that most people are moving to? No, not at all. A lot of my clients are moving there. What's interesting about this study is a lot of people are going, well, that's probably because of all the things that are happening this year. This is last year, 2019. I suspect it will be even more pronounced as far as where people are moving to and from, right in line with what was going on in 2019, but even, again, more pronounced. And I have a ton of clients. They're retiring and they're saying, I am sick of this area. I'm moving to Idaho. They're moving to maybe east of Spokane there. And even, you know, I hear Montana. It's not on the list here, but, you know, there's always the Arizona migration too right. uh, that I've seen or Texas, New Mexico, those kinds of, you know, I, you notice I didn't say Oregon or California there. Right. That's <laughs> it. Wyoming is another place that some people are moving to as well, too. When I think about Montana, Wyoming, and some of those states, I don't know. I just think about the winters there. So there's something to be said for most every state. And going back to New York State, I mean, I lived in New York City, and that's a lot different from the rest of the state. New York City is not just Manhattan, but it's the five boroughs. You know, it's going to be the Bronx and Brooklyn and Queens and Staten Island and, of course, Manhattan. But you go upstate, you get out of Westchester County and on up there into Dutchess and then all the way up to Lake Placid, it's actually a very pleasant state. But when this talks about so many people moving from New York, I think it means primarily from New York City. And of course, there are a lot of people there. Manhattan Island is 12 miles long and two miles wide. And boy, it's packed a lot of people into that. And it's just not, not good. I think there are more rats in New York City than there actually are people. I've heard that stat before. (laughs) And again, nothing disparaging about the people of New York City. I can just imagine that they're, you know, we're going to get the emails right now. How can you guys say that sort of thing? But these are just the stats that we're reading from this survey by Atlas Van Line. So Idaho, number one to move to. Is Idaho, and I know you have clients all over the United States, mostly here in the Pacific Northwest, but for those clients that have moved to Idaho, is that a more friendly state as far as uh, taxes or anything goes or cost of living? Yeah, one of the things, takeaways from this is the inbound states uh, in the top 10 are, are Idaho, 
Washington is number two, right. actually, last year. And that, that's a reflection of job growth. You know, two of the biggest companies in the world are right here in our backyard. North Carolina, that's a big one for job growth and being business friendly. I mentioned New Mexico earlier. Uh, I mentioned Arizona earlier. Texas is on the list, a, a tax-free state. And so those are some of the ones that people are moving to. So they're either, I, I see job-creating states, I see um, tax-free states dominate the list. On the outbound, I see just the opposite. You think of which states are the worst as far as raising taxes on people, making it hard to do business, regulatory, you know, the standard of living just, and even, like I said, next year, New York, yeah, I was talking to one of the people in my industry that is in Manhattan there, and I said, how are things going? He's like, oh, <laughs> I said, oh, no, I probably shouldn't have asked. He's in all the sirens are going. He says, you know, the sirens are going 24-7. It was COVID. He and his wife had both had COVID. They're in a 600-square-foot apartment. They can't yeah. go anywhere. They're, they're locked in. They're, they, it's noisy. It's depressing. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry I asked. But, you know, I, I could see a lot of people reacting and just saying, I, I can't do this anymore and, and finding someplace else to go. I know that Illinois is another state where the taxation is just going through the moon and, and, and support for business and everything is just really going the wrong direction. New Jersey is another state. Connecticut is another state. All of these states are on the outbound list, and there are substantial outbound percentages on those that I think we're going to see increase dramatically when we talk about this a year from now. Yeah, and New York City, as you mentioned, that 600-square-foot apartment, you'd probably pay over a million dollars for something like that, too, just so you have the pleasure of, you know, being in that environment. So, you know, I know some people like that. They may have businesses, and uh, they may work in New York City, and it's convenient because you can just go down the elevator, walk outside, and you're right there. Take public transportation pretty much anywhere you want to go. But again, outbound states, West Virginia, number two on this list. Not a lot happening in West Virginia these days. There's a lot of poverty there. Of course, West Virginia had the coal mining, no more coal mining. South Dakota, they're coming out of there too. There was a big oil boom a little while ago, but that's pretty much all dried up at this point. Weather is a factor. Illinois has Chicago, again with taxes. Louisiana, I was a little surprised on this too. I guess things are not all peachy in New Orleans. Then comes New Jersey, Delaware, Nebraska, Indiana, and Connecticut all have their reasons. One of the states that I'm surprised isn't on the outbound list here, Brian, is the state of California. I know a lot of Californians, and I'm a former Californian, who have moved out of the state for various reasons. Are you surprised California is not on the list too? I am surprised by that. Maybe just by the sheer size to get a big percentage change is harder because there's so many people there. You know, I'm looking at Delaware's on this list. Well, Okay, Tiny. you know, extra 10 people move out of Delaware. It's a list, you know. And consequently, they move to Rhode Island, the smallest state as well. That's the reason why yeah. Rhode Island's up 57%. Yeah, you had, you had 10 people that moved across, <laughs> across the county. That's right. From, uh, from one to the other. So, so you know, there, there is that statistical anomaly probably. So I'm sure California's on the list. It's somewhere in the 10 to 15 range. But, you know, New York is first, and they are the biggest of these states. So that is an interesting uh, observation. But yeah, on the on the inbound, as I mentioned, Idaho, Washington, North Carolina. I know North Carolina is a great, has a, has a nice climate. Yeah. It's very business friendly. There's a lot to do there. You can go to the coast. You can have trees. You, 
You know, it's a very nice place. Right. I do a lot of business there, so I could see why it's on there. New Mexico being inexpensive. Tennessee, lots of job growth there. Nashville yeah. was booming for years and years here. Rhode Island, we just talked about that, a little fun at their expense. Arizona, that's always on the list because, you know, people get tired of the cold winters as they're aging and baby boomers uh, want to get a place in Arizona. Alabama's on the list. That, I'm a little surprised to see that. Yeah, I don't understand uh, that one. Yeah, that one that one kind of surprised me that they have a big inbound there. I mean, it is a beautiful state. I've been to the beach there, a white sandy beach. Yeah. On the Gulf there. I was surprised by that. But, you know, I'm not I'm not sure how it got on the list. Uh, District of Columbia is up because, you know, our government keeps expanding. So I guess that one keeps growing. And then Texas. Certainly Texas is on the list. I am surprised, though, that as you mentioned, the outbound, you're surprised not to see California. I'm surprised on the inbound not to see Florida. Yeah, absolutely. Florida. And the other one that surprises me is Nevada. A lot of Californians are moving to Nevada because it is a business-friendly state. Certainly the Las Vegas area and neighboring Henderson is growing like crazy and there is no state tax. So again, this was last year, but I know that a lot of people are migrating from California to Nevada simply because cost of living, although it is very hot over there in Nevada. On the outbound side, as you said, we are surprised California is not there. And not only high cost of living, but also it's not a very business-friendly state. Also, tremendous taxes. And I sent you an article uh, last week, I believe it was. You know, we're both sports fans. Mookie Betts signed that contract with the Dodgers. And the one negative to coming to California was the taxes on his $350 million. I didn't realize this, but Mookie says there's a 13% jock tax in California on top of all the other taxes that he's got to pay. Uh, yeah, it's. I think that, you know, especially depending on who wins this, the election, you know, these, these high tax states, if the Democrats come out across the board ahead, we know the income tax are going way up on people that live in New York and California and so forth. And we'll see a mass exodus because not only, you know, you make a, a million dollars in California or New York, if you got to give well, 40, 50, 60 percent of it away in state, yeah. and that's before real estate and sales tax, so cool. maybe 70 percent of it away when they raise the corporate ta- the income tax on individuals and the state and all that, and then you have estate taxes to worry about. I think there'll be a lot of people that are just going to say, "Nah, I think I can telecommute or." Or, uh, you know, maybe be across the border of, of California, be in Nevada, like you just said, or, or something of that nature. So I, I think, and we're seeing it in New Yorkers flying or, or moving down to Florida. A lot of people from the Midwest going to Texas and Florida. And the people here, are usually it's Idaho, Arizona kind of th- migration, it looks like. Yeah, and the ability to work from home, too, is a big factor in where people want to move. They just want a better quality of life, and they can work from home. So, you know, even if you're employed in Seattle, if you can do your job from Idaho, why not do that and enjoy a better quality of life? Not that the quality of life in Seattle is bad, because as you said, it is number two on the inbound list. Well, no matter where you live here in the Pacific Northwest, I know that you're interested in creating a better retirement for yourself. Once again, if you'd like a complimentary retirement plan from Brian here at Madrona Financial Services, I think you know the number by now if you're a regular listener 844-MADRONA 844-MADRONA you can also request your plan online at madronafinancial.com and to everybody welcome to Idaho we'll see you up there maybe in the next couple of months Brian out of time for this week want to thank everyone for listening to us and invite you to join us again next week for another edition of Growing Your Wealth have a great weekend 
In today's fast-paced world, we're used to having information at our fingertips. And when you're trying to research something, more information is always better, especially when it comes to retirement planning. That's why Brian Evans, founder of Madrona Financial Services, has made his 2020 edition of the Little Red Book of Retirement available for free. You can get your free copy by visiting madronafinancial.com. The 2020 edition of the Little Red Book of Retirement covers the basics of retirement planning. Brian shares his thoughts on investing, taxes, estate planning, lifestyle, and more. As a CPA and investment advisor, Brian has the knowledge to help make your retirement planning process manageable. Brian has also been a featured speaker on CNBC and Fox Business. The 2020 edition of the Little Red Book of Retirement will give you a thorough analysis from an expert. Madrona Financial offers beneficial information to properly prepare for retirement. Get your free copy of the 2020 edition of the Little Red Book of Retirement by visiting madronafinancial.com. That's madronafinancial.com. Hi, this is Brian Evans, president of Madrona Financial Services. As a CPA and wealth manager, I've had lots of clients who owned highly appreciated real estate. And when it was time to sell that property, they all ran into the same problem, a huge tax bill. Up to now, some of their only options were to either follow the strict requirements of a 1031 exchange for another property or pay the hefty tax on the gain. We have access to another option to help our clients. It's called a DST. With a DST, you can still receive the benefits of property ownership like passive income, but you won't be responsible for all the debt or management. And best of all, a DST may meet the qualifications for your 1031 exchange. Now you can potentially defer the tax hit on your highly appreciated property and still get the benefits of investing in real estate. Call us today at 844-MADRONA to learn more about our DST program or visit us online at madronafinancial.com. DST investments are only available to accredited investors and are offered solely through the issuer's offering documents. The DST sponsor determines whether to accept any individual subscription documents.